0: Take your copy of God's Word with me this morning, open it uh, again to Hebrews. We're going to pick up where we left off several weeks ago as we uh, uh, entered into a a season of 40 days of prayer, took a break from uh, Hebrews, and today we will be going back to it. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. And last we left off, we, uh, in the middle of uh, chapter 4, we were looking at this concept of the rest that God gives to His people. And that rest that He gives to His people is a resting from sin, a resting from striving against God in our sinfulness to be made right with Him through faith in Jesus. We see throughout history many instances, many stories of important mediators, people who stood between the gaps, stood in the gap between two parties at conflict to bring consolation, to bring restoration, to bring reconciliation between the two uh, feuding parties. Uh, Perhaps one of the most, uh, to me, interesting instances of mediators, of intermediaries in history, which has been sort of uh, foist back into public consciousness with the uh, musical Hamilton, is this idea of a second. A second is a person who, in the course of a duel, you have two Two men who are fighting over God knows what and for what reason, but they think that the only way to solve it is to go try to shoot guns at each other uh, at, at high noon. Well, in the event that you know, those are kind of a, it's kind of a bloody, not so helpful way to solve confrontation. So the duelers would have what are called seconds, and these are like your personal lieutenant, if you would. And the seconds, before the the duel would take place, the seconds would go and meet together to try to arrange uh, an apology from the offending party to the. Off- party to arrange some sort of peace between the two. Now, if the seconds failed, then the duel went on and somebody was likely to get shot, as was the case with Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. Their seconds were not uh, uh, successful in mediating peace between the two. Alexander Hamilton was eventually shot and killed by Aaron Burr at that duel. All of this reminds us that parties at conflict, people in conflict, need mediators to bring reconciliation. In the Old Testament, there were mediators between parties at conflict. Specifically between God and sinful humanity, these mediators were called priests. And these priests were called in the Old Testament from among God's people, Israel, from among the tribe of Levi, to do this, to mediate between God and man. They would mediate, the priests would, on behalf of the people to God for forgiveness of the sins of the people. The high priest, one among them, was able to enter the holiest place of the temple, the innermost room, the Holy of Holies, And they would do that alone one day a year, not not being able to bring the people with them, but in representing the people to God to make atonement for their sins. The concept of mediators appears throughout history, sometimes as seconds, in the course of Scripture, often as priests. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, the author of Hebrews introduces us to and and will continue to speak about for the next several chapters of Hebrews, the priestly ministry of Jesus, the mediatorial ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus is, the author of Hebrews shows us the divine human, he's the God man, great high priest who brings us without inhibition, without anything holding us back, into the presence of God. The main idea that we are working with this morning that we will see in the course of Hebrews is this, that Jesus brings us boldly to God. The author of Hebrews wants us to know. Jesus brings us boldly to God. And coming to understand this from God's Word, I would hope that we would, as a result, be confident to then approach God as individuals through Jesus for great needs, to approach God for big things, and to let us confidently call others to faith in Jesus who has the capability of leading them. Boldly to God as well. Stand with me, would you, if you're able, as we honor God by reading His Word, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. The author of Hebrews, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, continues his sermon like letter to Jewish converts to Christianity, saying this Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Jesus brings us boldly to God. There are several things that we learn about Jesus in these three short verses and about his priestly ministry. The first is this from verse 14, that Jesus goes where human priests cannot. Jesus goes where human priests cannot. These verses, 14 through 16 of chapter 4, actually refer back to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 through 18, where there we read the author of Hebrews saying, "'Therefore he, Jesus the Son of God, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, like human beings,' So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then, over the course of chapter three and the first part of chapter four, there's a little bit of a digression in the author of Hebrews' argument. Now he's back to the priestly ministry of Jesus. He mentions here in verse 14 that Jesus is not just any sort of priest, he's a high priest. And he's not just any sort of high priest. He is a great high priest. He is a great high priest, and as a great high priest, he surpasses the abilities and the capabilities of every high priest of Jerusalem before him and even in his own day. The high priest, as we said before, was the one priest among all of the priests in Israel who was able to enter into the holiest place of the temple to make atonement for himself, for his own sins, and for the sins of the people, to present the blood of the sacrifice for sins to God in that holiest of places. Jesus, though, does not enter into rooms of earthly temples as great high priest, But as verse 14 says, he passes straight through the heavens to the very presence of God. He goes where human priests cannot. There is much uh, in in this one short verse, verse 14 of chapter 4, about the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur in the Jewish calendar. And, And that will be more fully described and kind of laid out for us further on in Hebrews. So I won't spend too much time talking about it here today. But this is significant. It is significant that Jesus does not go into a room in the temple, but into the heavenly places, to the dwelling place of God, because Jesus goes into the very presence of God the Father as our priest. Moses could not do this at Sinai. The priests could not do this in the temple. But Jesus can do this because he is fully God and fully man. He is, as God, as divine, He is entirely righteous. As the Son of God who who displays all of the glory of the Father, who is the exact imprint of the character of God the Father, Jesus has unparalleled access to the Father. He can go where priests cannot. And since Jesus goes where priests cannot, because He is the Son of God, there is good reason, the author of Hebrews says, to maintain the confession that Jesus is indeed the Son of God that He is the Messiah, that He is the hope of salvation for Israel and for the nations. We can hold fast to this assertion because Jesus is who He says He is. We can hold fast to the assertion that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time because he won six championships in eight years, because he proved it. We can hold fast to our confession that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Messiah, because He passed into the heavenly places, into the presence of God. He proved it. Jesus lives as priests, do uh, uh, goes where priests cannot. And secondly, verse 15 shows us that Jesus lives as priests do not. He can go where priests cannot go, and he lives in a way that human priests cannot live. There may have been some Jewish converts to Christianity in the first century among the Hebrews to whom the author of Hebrews is writing this letter, who may have been concerned, may have been worried That because there were no priests in Christianity, that their access to God was somehow hindered. Who is going to go to God on our behalf? Or there may have been some concern that Jesus, being divine, was somehow not able to understand the struggle of everyday Christians, the struggle with sin. Certainly in their former lives as Jews, they had human priests who knew well the struggle of temptation. They knew the pain of sin. They knew the need for rescue that all people had. And these human priests were able to uh, appropriately make the case for human beings before God asking for His mercy. Could Jesus do this? Some may have been wondering. Jesus is fully divine. He is fully God. It's why He can go into the heavenly places where priests cannot go. But Jesus is also fully human. This is this concept that theologians call the hypostatic union, which just means that that Jesus is fully God and fully human without any division between the two. He is the only 200% man. In this sense, because Jesus is fully human, he is like us in his humanity. Jesus shares much in common with us as human beings. The full humanity of Jesus made him, as he was incarnated, as he took on flesh in that baby in Bethlehem, growing into a man in Galilee, his humanity made him susceptible to suffering because he lived in a world that was corrupted and broken by the sin of humanity. Also, his human nature is not, uh, it's not fake. It's real. It's not, it's not pretense. It's not, a, it's not an illusion, but a reality. Jesus really did experience pain. He really did experience suffering. He really did experience temptation from the world outside and even from Satan himself, as we read in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus suffered even to the point of dying a real death. There is no part of the human experience that Jesus did not share with us except one. And this is how Jesus is not like us. Jesus is like us in his humanity, but he's not like us in his divinity. The full divinity of Jesus makes him, in many ways, different from, from, from us. But the way that he is most different from human beings is this. He is sinless. The author of Hebrews says in verse 15, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The divinity of Jesus ensures his ability to be tempted by sin, to be tempted to sin, to be tempted by Satan, to rebel against the Father, and yet to be totally able to say no. His divinity assures that he will not sin. But at the same time, his inability to sin does not make his temptation illusory, doesn't make his temptation fake. Jesus really was tempted by Satan, really was tempted by other things in the world, and yet... He resists all of it sinlessly. There's not another mediator. There's not another intercessor. There's not another second between God and man like Jesus. He is the great high priest for the fact that he not only perfectly reveals the, the will of the Father and the person of God the Father to us, but that his sinless righteousness is given to us so that we can go to the Father through him. Jesus lives sinlessly as other priests do not. And because of that, he is able to take us with him places we were previously not able to go. Which leads us to verse 16 in this truth, that Jesus takes us where priests could not. Jesus goes where priests cannot. He lives as priests do not, and he takes us to places that priests cannot. Because Jesus goes where sinful man cannot go. To make sinless intercession for them, All who confess Christ as Lord have no need to fear entering the presence of God alongside their Savior. Verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because sins have been dealt with in Jesus, in His death for us, and because His righteousness has been imputed, that means given freely and placed upon those who trust Him, then all who are in Christ have great confidence to approach God's throne of grace. In the presence of God, then there are access. there is access to His divine mercy. There is access to His well-timed grace to help. That's what grace to help in time of need means. That God gives grace at just the right moment for whatever we may require. Our greatest need, however, mankind's greatest need, is first for restoration to God, to be right with Him. Because in our sinfulness, we have broken fellowship with God to seek our our own way, our own authority in life, rather than His will and His desire for us. Our greatest need is to be right with God, to have that relationship fixed. And restoration with God, that great need that all of us have, is received as a gift of His mercy And as a help in the face of the terror of sin and judgment for unrepentance. And we receive that grace confidently through Jesus who takes us where priests cannot. So, Jesus goes where priests cannot. He lives as priests do not. And he takes us to places that priests cannot take us. What does this mean for us today? 2020 means for us first, that your faith, Christian, in Jesus, is worth standing on. It is worth standing on. Scripture's claims that Jesus was a divine human priest alone, simply saying that Jesus was this God-man who makes intercession. That claim alone, without evidence to back them up, is is pointless. Our confession that Jesus lived, that he died and that he rose again, however, is not without evidence. So our claim that Jesus is Lord, that he died for sins, that he rose again, is a well-founded claim. The the very fact that there's no serious historian in all the earth today who doubts the existence of Jesus, the fact that the New Testament is so consistent in its content across centuries of transcription, of copying from one person to another, one copy to another, that even the the first century historian Josephus, a, a Jewish historian who did not believe in Jesus as Savior, that even Josephus would repeat the claims of the apostles that Jesus was raised from the dead, all this and more causes us to have to grapple with the realities of our faith. And as we grapple, what we find is that we have a faith worth standing on. We have a faith that holds up to scrutiny. The end result of our grappling with the historical realities of Jesus should not be unsureness about our faith, but to have much confidence. As the author of Hebrews says in verse 14, Since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus is the Son of God the divine human priest who stood in our place. Let us hold fast our confession. Your faith in Jesus the man, dear Christian, Jesus the God-man, the Son of God, is well-founded. And your confession that he is God and that he is Lord is a sure confession. It is a safe confession. It is a strong confession. Because His crucifixion and His resurrection were widely witnessed and attested to, you can hold fast to your confession, Christian, that He is the only Son of God and our Savior. Because Jesus is a priest like no other, who does what none other can. Your faith in Him is worth standing on. Second, this means for us that there is no shame in coming to Jesus. There's no shame in coming to Jesus. It can sometimes be difficult to be vulnerable about your failings, about your sins, with someone who seems to have their life put together, with another Christian or another individual whose life seems to be just right. It's hard to confess our, our vulnerabilities and our failings with them. Another person's success or another person's maybe high, perceived high level of spirituality may cause you to be ashamed, may cause you to be afraid, to be really honest with them like in some way that that they won't be able to really understand what you're dealing with, or even worse yet, that they will somehow lord it over you, that you aren't as holy as they are, that you've got to do some work to get your stuff together. But our author in Hebrews wants us to understand the opposite, that Jesus is not like this. Jesus is not like one who lords his holiness over us. Is he holy? Absolutely, and perfectly so. But Jesus is also able to sympathize with you in every way. Think about that. There's not a thing that you are going through in life or have gone through in life that Jesus has not endured and overcome. He is able to sympathize with you in every way. Every time, every time and without fail, someone genuinely approaches Jesus in Scripture. Whether it be a hardened sinner a hurting outcast, or a humble child, Jesus embraces that person with all the love and truth of God. He'll never condone your sin. No. He'll never say, it's okay, don't worry about that sinning. But likewise, He will never cause you to feel ashamed to come to Him because of it. This is good news. What Jesus reveals to us about God the Father is that His desire is to be in close relationship with us, His creatures, Jesus suffered shame, the shame of death on the cross, because he was so committed to this. He was so committed to bringing us into relationship with God. He bore the penalty for our sin that causes us shame so that we could be near to God, our creator. So, friend, whatever is holding you back from embracing Jesus as God, as Redeemer, as Rescuer, as Restorer, as a great high priest that brings you confidently to God, know this today. It does not hinder, your shame does not hinder Jesus' love for you. Your shame for sin does not hinder his desire for you to know him. Neither does it hinder his ability to rescue you and bring you to the Father, dear friend. There is nothing in Jesus that keeps you from God. Pastor Tim Keller says the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yes, yes. But at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. There is no shame in coming to Jesus. He loves you deeply. He gave his life for your sins so that you might enter confidently into the presence of God. You need only to receive him by faith. Turn from your sin. Trust him as Lord to enter into that relationship with God. Third, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 means for us that there are only God's gifts to those who are in Jesus. There are only God's gifts to those who are in Jesus. You know, the only person who has the boldness, who has the gumption, to wake a mighty king in the middle of the night to ask for a glass of water is his son. Because of their father-son relationship, because it supersedes their king-subject relationship, there is great confidence to ask for small things of a great king. Because he's not just a king, he is to the prince a father. And so it is with us in Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, is the very personification. He is the embodiment of the mercy and grace of God to sinners like us. Sinners who have rejected and despised God in our hearts. Jesus is not a second God. He's not a lesser God who exists to make peace between uh, the big G God and mankind. No, Jesus is the one true God who adds humanity to his divinity to be the undeserved gift of God to us. Jesus is not the means by which an angry God gets rid of his anger for sin. He is quite differently the loving hand of God reaching to us saying, return to me. Here is the way. Let me make you new. And so, when we come to relate to Jesus as the only one who can perfectly bring restoration between us and God, we enter with him with all the confidence that he has to the bedchamber of the mighty King. And in Jesus, being made sons and daughters of God with him, we have all the access to God that we need for mercy, for grace. For help in hard times, for wisdom in confusing moments, for courage in the face of fear, for confidence in uncertainty, for boldness, for strength, for hope for life after death, for a cup of water in the middle of the night. Because Jesus is the great high priest who brings us boldly to God. There are only good gifts from God to those who are his in Jesus mature Christian, this is not just good news for those who don't know Christ yet. This is good news for you, for you who are growing in Christ, for you who continue to walk in Christ. It is good news to know that Jesus has brought you with confidence into the very presence of God by his death and resurrection and your faith in him, not just to save you from your sins when you were six years old and walked an aisle and prayed a prayer with a pastor but to give you all that you need for life and godliness today and every day. So come boldly to God through faith in Christ, through trusting him, our great high priest, who lives to make intercession for us, who brings us with confidence to the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need.